So uh, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about work. Uh, three weeks ago, I, the first sermon in this series was uh, we looked at God at work. And if we were to understand what work is, we're made in the image of God. It says in the, um, Genesis chapter 2 that God finished his work and then made us to work. And so we went back and we looked at what, how is it that God worked? Well, he worked selflessly and well. That's, that's what the first sermon was about. And then uh, we looked at how the fall affected our work. Our work is not a result of our sin but the futility and the difficulty of work is. And so we looked at the thorns last week of our work and how Christ wears the crown of thorns to deliver us from the thorns in our work. And so much like uh, Creation Week itself, uh, I'm doing this in patterns. We talked about work, uh, and then we talked about rest, and then now I'm talking about work again, and the next week we're going to talk about rest. And so on the first w- week I created this paradigm, and uh, now I'm here to fill it much like God made an ocean and then a few days later filled it. So we're going to fill out this idea of what is work. What is it? So before we do that, let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day to come and rest and to learn about what it is to work. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to look to Christ as our example, that you would um, comfort us in the difficulties and struggles and thorns that we are dealing with in in our vocations. Pray, Father, that you would give us a deep uh, understanding not only of um, why you made all of us, but why you made us individually. And what is it that you have called us in our own lives to do for your glory? We pray that you would help us this morning to understand that, that we would seek first the kingdom of heaven, um, Father, as, as we consider these things, and that they would take root in our hearts and grow up to abundant fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the word vocation is what we're going to look at. Vocation is not the same thing as profession, right? Many of us have a profession. That's a particular job. But um, it's not the same thing as vocation. Vocation actually means calling. Uh, Your vocation is your calling. God calls men when he designates them to some special office. We're used to this, right? The calling of Abraham is is a passage passage of Scripture that we're all very familiar with. Genesis 12, 1, it says... Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, He's taking Abram out of the land that he's in, and he's sending him and placing him in another land, a different land, to do a specific task. And that's the calling of Abraham. Likewise, in 1 Samuel 3.10, it says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. This is the calling of Samuel. So God calls to him out loud, and Samuel responds. And then what we have is God gives him very, he says, actually in the next verse, I'm going to tell you something that's going to itch the ears of Israel. It's going to be this profound thing. And he has a task for Samuel. Now, both of these people, Abraham and Samuel, I think reinforces the fact that most of us believe that a vocation is a religious calling. Uh, and up, in, up until the Reformation, that's what people thought. People who worked for the church had a vocation, Everybody else just worked, right? There's work over here, and then there's vocations. And I think most of us still have this idea. But vocation, you all have vocations. You all have a calling. Uh, You don't just have a job. You don't just have work. You have a calling. Uh, And what we need to see is how each of our vocations, each of how God has called us and placed us, uh, fits into the bigger scheme of of what God is doing in the whole world, not just in our own lives. I I think if we... if um, it's helpful, and we will look at what it looks like in our own lives, but we have to step back for a moment and take the 30,000-foot view where we, we look at it in the bigger picture. 
Vocation is distinct from the call of salvation. Okay, everyone is called to believe in Jesus Christ, right? The, the general call, the efficacious call that goes out uh, is one kind of call, and the Puritans made a distinction between this. There's the general call to every person, and then your vocation, which is your, your specific call to do a specific task. Jean Weith writes, the doctrine of vocation helps Christians see the ordinary labors of life to be charged with meaning. It also helps put their work into perspective, seeing that their work is not serving them, but that they are resting in the grace of God, who in turn works through their labors to love and serve their neighbors. Luther and the other reformers helped the church to see that all work, whether you get a paycheck for it or not, whether it is considered noble or not, is essential to our calling as a child of God and a disciple of Christ. The work that you do is essential to who you are as a child of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ. To Luther, all work and all roles were potentially holy callings, which should be fulfilled for the glory of God alone. To Luther, it wasn't what kind of work you did, but how one worked that made it holy. It's not what you do, it's how you do it that makes it holy. Calvin said each individual has his own sort of living assigned to him as a sort of sentry post. Right? Now, why would he say that? What does that mean, a sentry post? Well, a sentry is a guard. And if you go back to Genesis 2.15, which is the text for today, this is what it says. <clears throat> the Lord God took the man, Adam, and then put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now, oftentimes that word keep is translated as guard. Adam was taken, he, was, he wasn't created in the garden, he was taken and placed in the garden to guard and keep it. So it was his sentry post. Right? We covered this in the first sermon. He's the priest gardener in, in, in Eden. God placed Adam in the garden to be a priest gardener. We are placed in a specific home, a specific marriage, a specific profession, community, and church. And if God designed for these circumstances us for these circumstances, and these circumstances for us, then it makes sense that when we are doing what God made us to do for him, we will be fulfilled and satisfied and happy. Okay, Are you wondering in your life, how am I to be fulfilled? But what am I going to do that's going to satisfy my soul? Well, it's doing the thing that God made you to do. Okay, um, Eric Liddell, the famous uh, runner, said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Because he knew that doing what he was made to do is what gave God pleasure. And, and for you, this is what we have to understand. You have a specific calling. Okay? And, and in Christ, God is, is pleased and satisfied with you. And if you're working in Christ and laboring for Christ and, and doing all of your work as under the Lord, then he is pleased with you. You don't need to look for your work to fill some, some desperate need of identity. Right? I mean, we, I think we all know this. Uh, know people like this, people who are, are working at a certain job and it is their identity. Um, we're not identified by the work itself, but by the ends, the holiness of it, the one who we are working for. And if we're, and if we're working for him as under the Lord, then, then he takes pleasure in us, and we feel that pleasure. What the Great uh, Commission in Ephesians 4 teaches us is that we as the church are made for mission and the work of ministry. This is something that Dean and I have been talking a lot about in the last year. We are here to equip you for the work of ministry. Your marriage, your family, your profession are the various vocations in which you will fulfill the great call of Christ to all Christians. Okay? So if you're wondering, how am I serving the Lord? Well, look next to you at your spouse. Look around at your kids. Um, how am I serving the Lord? Go to work and look at who you have there. 
who's working with you. That's why. That, that's how you're serving him, by serving them, right? God said, love him and love your neighbor. And, you, and if you look around your neighborhood, if you look around your office, if you look around the coffee shop that you work in, if you look around your classroom, that is who you are called to serve. That is who you are called to serve. That's the ministry. That's the mission field. Um, it's, it's, it's crucial for us to understand that there is not sacred work over here, like Sunday morning is sacred over here, and the water cooler is over here, and it's secular. We need to just utterly destroy this idol, this lie in our lives. Uh, as was read for us today, Jesus is hanging around the water cooler, and he's asking questions of uh, the Samaritan woman. And, and what he does is he enters in the labor there. How did that woman know anything about the priests? How did she know anything about worship? Right? She's a, a skanky girl <laughs> who's not a Jew, and she knows all about these things. Well, where He enters into the work of others. Other people had to tell her of it. And he gets in there, and he's asking questions and ministering to her, and that's what we're all called to do. Okay? I, I, you don't know where your coworker has come from. You don't know where they're going. You don't know how long you're going to be working there. And so what you have to see is the person right in front of you right now serving them. It, that's not only what you're made to do, but that's fulfilling the Great Commission for the whole church. Love God and your neighbor. Disciple unbelievers. Attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to full manhood, it says in Ephesians 4.13. That's, that, that's not sacred work over here, and then you go to your work at your dentist office or whatever over here. It, the two things are the same. Okay. Uh, I, I made this point in the first sermon. How, how often do we get unbelievers here? It, it is difficult, isn't it, to get an unbeliever to go to church with you? Uh, I have friends. They'll do just about anything. If I ask them, let's go to happy hour. They're in. Let's go bowling. They're down. Let's go whatever. Clubbing? Awesome. But get in. <laughs> I don't actually do that. But <laughs> but go to church? No. They, they won't go to church. But I go there. right? I, I'm a court clerk. I am in the court. Uh, well... I haven't been for 13 weeks, but I'm going to be back four days a week, 10 hours a day. I'm there in their midst. Now, that's not an accident, okay? I, I don't need to sit at home at night and wonder, oh, gee, what am I going to do for the kingdom of God? He's like, here, here's a garden. Now tend it and keep it. And, and that's how we have to see all of our vocations. Our workaday lives in the grand scheme of God's ultimate plans for all of creation. That's what we have to get our minds around. Okay, the workaday lives, our workaday lives in the grand scheme. So in order to do that, we're going to, again, we're going 30,000 feet here. We're not going to look at the nitty-gritty of your daily life like we did last week uh, until the very end. This now is the big picture. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. After creation, God gives man a mission. Subdue, multiply, and fill. Okay? And th that's a lot of work. This is before the fall. So clearly there's a lot of work involved in being a human being. <laughs> right? And all of these areas, subduing, multiplying, which requires marriage and a family, all of that is a lot of work. So God comes right out and says, here, this is your mission. So after the resurrection, when we are entering now through Christ into the new heavens and earth, a new heavens and earth is being created, he also gives us a mission. Okay, And what we need to see is how these two missions go together. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Fill the earth and subdue the earth and have dominion over the earth. What is not included in that? That includes everything. Everything falls under that category. The command to rule, subdue, and subdue and fill the world encompasses everyone and everything. The command to teach every tribe and tongue the words of Jesus encompasses everyone and everything. Doesn't it? Teach all the nations, all the words of Jesus. What's left out in that command? God's vision for his kingdom coming on earth is bigger than anything that we can imagine. What he is looking for is Christian blacks, Christian whites, Christian Asians, Christian Latinos, Christian cops, Christian bankers, Christian brewers, Christian wives and mothers and writers and sewers and bakers and bankers and lawyers. That's what he wants. He wants you to go out in the midst of the world and be and do these things because he wants everything, everything under his control. He wants everything under his blessing. Again, Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says this, for, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians says that the cross is about the harmonization of all things in heaven and on earth, in Christ. Man put right with woman, man put right with his enemies, man put right with the environment, man put right with his rulers, and man put right with his work. Now, how does the reconciliation of all things in Christ relate to law, to architecture, to construction, to physics, to education, to parenting, to medicine, to economics, to bread making and dressmaking and discipline and infrastructure? Yes, even infrastructure. God cares about a particular kind of road. That's not outside of his jurisdiction. And therefore, he cares very much about the men and women who are out there flagging and pouring concrete and laying rebar, he cares about that. Because that, if you go back to the beginning, that's what, he wants us to subdue the earth. And, and what, what, you're, what he needs are, are his children to go and do that. Right? I, I, I understand that plenty of unbelievers build wonderful and, and amazing and beautiful things. Okay? We can thank the Nazis for the uh, freeway system. Thank you, Nazis. It's very efficient. Uh, except they're Nazis. So um, clearly they were not seeking the will of God. Right? So what he wants are people as efficient as the Germans who bow to Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants everything. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. The Great Commission is our mandate for seeking the reconciliation of all people to God through Jesus Christ because the fall twisted us. And it twisted our relationship with God. It broke us and estranged us from this mission of work and so what we need is to be reconciled to Christ so we can be reconciled to our work. Okay? God wants all of it. He came and he died for all of it. And what he needs now right, is not just preachers and pastors and evangelists. He needs them to equip all of you to go into the specific calling that you have, the specific vocation, and live under the Lord. Right? I cannot go up and down. I have a job myself. I have six kids. I can't go door to door, business to business, every day of the week, preaching. I can't. I'm going to go on the road. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. What he does is he he brings you all here. We have this this service. We are renewed. We're refreshed. We're built up, and then we're sent into the world to do likewise, to do what we're doing here in the world. 
And it's because he wants the whole world. Reconcile all things, he says. So how does God reach into everything? How does he do it? He converts people in every conceivable profession. Teach, he says. And a good teacher, if he knows his business, doesn't lecture. They demonstrate. They engage. They come alongside of a student and they show them. That's what a good teacher does. Uh, I, I'm not a good teacher. I know that this is what they do because I was sent to teacher training when I was a teacher. And, and this is the difference between good teachers and bad teachers. Bad teachers bore the bejeebies out of everyone by just lecturing at them. Good teachers come alongside a student and show them what it is they need to do, walking with them through the process. So when God says, teach the nations all the words of Jesus, we automatically, like modern people, think it's like a university lecture hall, right? And so what we're going to do now is send some people down to the mall to lecture at the pagans about their unbelief. This, is, this has been a lot of confusion for us for many decades. But what he wants you to do is be good teachers. What does a good architect look like? What does a Christian baker look like? What does a Christian mother look like? What does a Christian doctor look like? What does a Christian accountant look like? Right? How do they go about their work believing God? They're showing, you're showing through your profession, through your calling, the people that you work with, the people you work for, exactly what it looks like to fear God in your context. Uh, in my opinion, what does a Christian engineer look like? Well, we should follow the Christian engineers that we have here around their day. Uh, if it was take your pastor to work day, I would go with you and I would be like, see, <laughs> this is a Christian engineer at work. This is the gospel. This, is, this person was converted into this garden to do this work before a watching world. And, and what I love about this is it takes all the mystery out of it. Okay, How are you going to fit kingdom work into your busy life? Well, you're going to do what you're already doing but you're going to do it under the Lord. Your spouse, your children, your profession, all of these things are the garden in which God placed you to work a certain way because people are watching you. Okay, all the, There's not enough pastors and preachers and evangelists to get out there and do it. So that's why we right, consolidate by bringing you here and teaching you all at once. I, I, I used this example many times when I, when I was teaching. How did the thief on the cross come to believe in Jesus Christ? Now, I, I don't think there's a sermon that Jesus preached while he was nailed up there that they don't record in the New Testament. I don't think that's how. But if believing comes through hearing, how did the thief on the cross hear the gospel? Well, if you go and you look at the things that Christ did on the cross, I think it answers the question for us. He prays for the people persecuting him. He verbally blesses them. He's nailed up there. He's going to die. And he remembers that someone has to take care of his mom. And so he says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. So here's the thief on the cross. And, and I, who knows what's going through his mind. But next to him is this man who's not very concerned about the nails in his wrists, who seems very concerned about all the people standing around. <clears throat> Sorry. I get worked up about that story. And so the thief on the cross sees it. He hears it, but it's not the way that we normally think someone sees and hears the gospel. What he, see, what he hears and sees is the implications of the gospel, right? People who believe in Jesus Christ talk a certain way and dress a certain way. They, they work a certain way. They eat a certain way. They spend their leisure time a certain way. If we go to work 
and, and you cannot tell the Christian ones from the non-Christian ones, I believe that we have some serious idols that we need to, to address, to attack. Right? This is what Dean so eloquently said for us so many times. When we get off mission, it's a heart issue. If your Saturdays and Sundays and work days do not look any different than your unbelieving neighbors, there are serious problems. And we're not fulfilling what it is that we were made to do. We've gone into the garden, and, and like Adam, we've just pursued our own ends. Now, this is the general 30,000-foot view. Let's get into the, a little bit more into the details here. Our vocations are specific to our circumstances. God placed Adam in the garden as a priest gardener. The initiative was all on God. God has placed you in a particular garden as a priest gardener. Vocations are not just a calling, but a placement. God places you throughout society to fulfill the Great Commission and the cultural mandate. Vocation means calling, and as Gene Weith explains, when someone calls us even over the phone, we know that this is no inner voice, right? I do not take out my phone and hold it up to my face and think that there's just a voice talking to me in my head. Clearly, I'm receiving a message from outside of me from someone else, and that's a call. Now, why do you think we call your vocation a calling? Because someone outside of you is calling you to come and do something. The voice of another person who is summoning us and demanding our attention. Vocation comes from the outside having to do with opportunities and circumstances, doors opening and slamming in our faces. Since God works through means, he often extends his call through other people. Our calling comes from outside of ourselves. I know, this is very contrary to the modern view. Right? Nowadays, we sit kids down and we're like, okay, what's the passion deep inside of you that's got to come out? What's, in, what, what's your dream? What's inside of you? Instead, we've, we've completely lost the concept of sitting down with people and helping them figure out what they're good at. Right? You know, I really, you're good at this and I want you to do more of this. I want you to do less of this, more of this. And over time, what happens? Through skills and opportunities, you, f you, you are led through pro by providence, the work of providence, into a specific garden. How did you come to be working where you're working? That spouse, those kids, that profession, how did you come there? Was it a voice outside of you? It was, wasn't it? You, none of us were born and then were given every possible option and just chose for ourselves. Right? It's not like what they tell kids these days. You can grow up and be anything. You really can't. You really can't. Okay? You really can't. <laughs> I mean, I hate to bust that bubble, but it's refreshing to say it, isn't it? It's refreshing. And the last thing I ever want to tell my kids is they can do anything. It's terrible when, when dealing with them, when they, when they come up against something they can't do. Right? And so the last thing I want to do is give them false expectations of themselves. Well, I'm going to be, right, this is what I heard the other day. I'm going to be the president and a bomber and a clone trooper. And you're like, okay. Um, that, uh, I don't know how the pay scale works for that, but good luck. Good luck. You know, and, and these feel-good moms that I know, oh, how dare you limit them? Uh, they're pretty limited. If you watch them play basketball, I mean, it just happened. I mean, they're... So this is what I, I love about this. Um, John the baptizer is baptizing people. And, and in this passage, Luke 3, 10 through 14, people are baptized. 
And, and they come up and they, and they ask this question, because this is exactly what happened to me when I was a believer, when I became a believer. Uh, at the time, I think I was trying to make, uh, my wife will remember, <laughs> I was literally trying to make money as a poet. And I don't think one of those have actually existed for like 500 years. <laughs> People who make a living by being a poet. Um, and so I became a Christian. And, and this is exactly what my experience was like. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Okay, so now what? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, <laughs> and content, be content with your wages. He doesn't have some special new task for them. He doesn't say, here's a monastery we have waiting for you, or, or here's a soup kitchen I'd like you to open. No, you're tax collectors? Yeah, stop extorting people. So go back and do your work ethically. Go back and do your work gratefully. Go back and do your work differently than what you were doing before. And, and what I did not have at the time uh, was someone to tell me that. I'm going to tell the story about someone did eventually do exactly this for me. Uh, but it wasn't right away, and so I floundered. So then I, I tried real hard to be a Christian poet, uh, and there's even fewer who have ever been paid to do that. <laughs> now, the kingdom of God was preached, and people were brought to faith or renewed in their faith, and their zeal led them to ask this question, what now? So John instructs them to give to the poor and needy. So it's important here to understand, the rich young ruler had an idol that Jesus was dealing with. He wasn't making a blanket statement about everybody now needs to sell everything and serve the poor. Uh, it was specific to him. Th these uh, soldiers clearly also have idols, and that is by uh, false accusation, they increase their wages by getting payoffs. <laughs> so everyone in their work has to deal with their idols, whatever those idols are. So I like that he tells them to be, to give to the needy. He covers that. But then he also says, no, 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 don't sell everything and go off and do this. Okay? What you need to do is, is, is overcome the temptation to extort people if you're a tax collector. Do your work ethically. Uh, furthermore, St. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 7, 17-24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, as we know from other places from St. Paul, there are plenty of things that we're doing when we come to faith that we should, in fact, stop doing. Okay? Uh, if you're called into certain habitual life sins, uh, don't keep doing those. That's not what he means. Uh, if you're selling Coke, don't keep selling Coke on the street. Stop doing that and do honest work. Okay? I don't, I, all lawful jobs you should remain in. There's plenty of unlawful jobs and unlawful lifestyles that you should not. So I, I just want to get, deal with that right away. But it's important here that St. Paul is saying, do the thing that God has made you to do, is what he's telling them. The Lord has assigned it to you. He's placed you in a garden. Go and do that work. The principle here is straightforward. Okay, Gentiles are not to suddenly become Jews. They didn't want that. Because what would happen is if you were a Gentile and you became a Jew, you would have to leave all of your Gentile family, all your Gentile friends, the places that you eat, the places you go, the things you do. Everything is now regulated by the law of Moses. And so this is the same for us. It's not like now there's this phenomenal, extensive, life-altering um, law that changes every aspect of your life. You have to come out of the world into this monastery. 
right? You don't come, you don't go from being a Gentile to becoming a Jew. He wants you to remain where you are. Because you used to go there and there were people that worshiped Artemis. And if I take you out of that place, those people who worship Artemis aren't going to see what a believer in the true God is, looks like, right? I will lose my connection point there. And, and so this is why he converts us. In every possible socioeconomic stat, state, status, he converts you right where he needs his children to be. So your calling as a Christian dovetails all your other vocations, Okay. Don't stop being an engineer. Be an engineer who does his work selflessly, gratefully, ethically, and well. Don't, uh, be a homemaker who does her work selflessly, gratefully, ethically, and well. Be a student who does their work selflessly, gratefully, ethically, and well. Being built up into the fullness of Christ, every member doing their work selflessly, gratefully, ethically, and well. That's the church on mission. That's it. So, so don't stress out. Don't go gray early, thinking, how am I going to cram kingdom work into this busy schedule? God took you and put you in a garden and made you his child to work and keep it. That's your sentry post. That's your sentry post. Jesus didn't stay in heaven. The Great Commission says, go. Okay, there's outwardness, not inwardness. Go into banks, go into bakeries, go to bus stops, go to courts, go to conference rooms, over counters, do our work ethically, selflessly, gratefully, and well. And then we're demonstrating to the world what the church of God is. Our work is sacred if we are looking to the Lord to turn our temporal work into eternal fruit. Okay, just like the reading today, I'm going to go back to it again and again. Somebody had, other people had already been working with this Samaritan woman. And Jesus comes and separates the, he winnows out. And so that's what we need to focus on. Our job is the water. Our job is to sow. Our, our job occasionally is to reap. It's Jesus that gives us the fruit, though. And, and what we need to do is just focus on what does the person right here, right now need? Sowing, watering, reaping, weeding. From house painter to house seller. From a banker to a honey, buck deli- honey bucket delivery man. Everybody's job is about this. Okay? I, the, the guy who delivers honey buckets, his job isn't to deliver honey buckets. He has to do that, but what he's really doing is demonstrating, if he is a Christian, what the love of God in a person's life looks like. The Lord did not come to be served, but to serve. Your, ch- your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your neighborhood is the garden in which God has placed you. I, it's not where he's placed me. It's where he's placed you, because the people there, it's ripe for harvest. He's already at work. He, ha- he has not been sleeping all this time. He's working, and what we need to do is not figure out where are we going to go to find some Christian work. He's put you there as a priest gardener already where there is work to be done. Our vocations now, this is the third and final point, I promise. Our vocations are about helping others. Now, I, I I don't know about you, but I go and I work, and every two weeks I get paid. And what happens is, I, I believe very, very easily now, that I go for that reason. I go because I get paid. And, and to be frankly, when I took the job, that is actually why I went, to get paid. I, I looked at the health benefits, and I thought, this is, this is why I'm here. This is beautiful. All my kids are getting glasses. They still haven't, but Covey will come see you, I promise. But that's why I went. It was, it was a financial decision. But this is very wrong-headed. 
Matthew 6, 30-33 says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think for all of us, this is the crux of the problem. Is we, we go to work and we're not pursuing it for the right ends. Um, there are thorns. There are dragons in the land to be slain. There are difficulties. Uh, what, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I have a family to provide for, and, and so I need money, and so I go to work. Because w- the problem is we live with little faith. Now, God, through, the, through common grace, in fact, uses your profession to, to give you money. Uh, he obviously does that. But do we understand that it's him that's doing it? He has other ways to provide for you. In 2 Kings chapter 4, right, long before the 5,000 he fed with the fish and the loaves, long before turning water into wine, there was this little widow that he gave this pot that had an endless amount of oil in it. Now, I think, as modern Christians, we love, that's a cute, that's cute. That's a, you just imagine a little widow in a little pot. It's like spooning it out to everyone who could possibly want some. No, have more. But this is how he can and does care for you. Uh, I, I like this because every time I read about the Israelites in the desert and their shoes not wearing out, I think of that red car that I've owned for years. Uh, there was at one point like two and a half years I didn't do an oil change. Now, I understand enough about cars to know that that has nothing to do with the kind of oil I bought. Um, God takes care of us. And because it, there's a rhythm to it, we become very ungrateful about it. It's like the sun coming up. It's like everything that Dean was saying this morning. There's all kinds of blessing that just is so consistent and it's so abundant that we don't even understand what it is. Now, because you go to work and God pays you through that, doesn't mean that's the only way he can do it. How many of you have ever received hand-me-downs? How many of you, yeah, there we go, showing hands. Okay. How many of you have ever won tickets to something. How many of you have ever had an in-law just suddenly give you stuff? Right? I've, I've had checks. I've had clothes. Uh, I like it. It's funny. We even, it's a little game my mom and I play. I, I, we're going over to Nana's, and I say, kids, uh, what are you doing wearing those? Those are your new shoes. Put on these other shoes that have a hole in them. <laughs> it's true. My wife will testify to the fact that I do this. Uh, yeah, those pants fit too well. Put on your brother's pants. Right? I mean, uh, when I went to work at Providence, uh, we, we overdo Christmas. I don't know if anybody else does that. But I wasn't going to be able to overdo Christmas. I should have not told the story. <laughs> but anyway, so everybody gets now a $5 present. Sorry, kids. Jesus still loves you, I promise. But we're going to do it like um, they would have done it at the manger, meager. It's going to be very humble Christmas. And then it turns out they had this thing I've never even heard of called a giving tree, where you literally write exactly what you want, okay? And you tie this, this ornament on this tree, and it was at Providence. And, and people who worked there and students and stuff would come and take the things that, uh, and then give those presents to you. Uh, they would, the school would gather them, wrap them, and give them to you. And, and they overdid it that once I left the school, it, our, our actual Christmases went down at that point. 
we, we go to school, the Christmases go up, which is hard to do because I spent a lot of money at Christmas. And then it, was, it wasn't until I left the school that they actually went down a little. And I, I had no, I've never even heard of a giving tree. I had no idea something like that existed. Uh, and, I mean, they gave us gift cards to buy food. They gave us wine. They gave us cakes. They gave us uh, – it was crazy. I, I was like, I had to stop and actually give some to another teacher uh, simply because we had too much. Now, how does God usually provide for you? Well, you go to work or your husband goes to work and he earns money and that's how you get it. And you think that's how you get it. But that's not how you get it. That's not how you get it. God gives it to you. And he uses all kinds of things to provide for us. And so what, what happens is, though, we get caught in this trap where we think we're going there for that reason. And so, well, now if I lose my job, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, I don't have a money tree, right? I can't just grow it out back. We forget all too easily the fact that God provides for us. Psalm 145, 16 through 17. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. It all comes from him. It all comes from him. The Christian shouldn't worry about his material necessities. He has other reasons for being there. You have other reasons for being at work. Gene Weiss again says in God at Work, he writes this, the essence and purpose of Christian vocation from the point of view of the person holding the vocation and being a vehicle for God's action is love and service. If you're pursuing the kingdom of God in your work, what is his kingdom all about? Loving people. Now, how would that change the way you work? If you went to work and you thought, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to love everyone. I'm going to forgive as I was forgiven. I'm going to be holy as my Lord was holy. I'm going to go to work and that's why I'm there. Now, I, I, can't, tell, I, mean, I can't tell you enough that that's not generally how I get up and think about my work. I think about all the crazy stuff that is going to happen. I think about all the crazy reasons I have to be there, which is other people's crime, because I work at a court, right? I, exi I exist in my profession because people sin. Um, it's my dad. He was a one-point Calvinist. He was a policeman for 31 years, and he was a one-point Calvinist because he was convinced about the depravity of man, right? <laughs> and this is the kind of job I have. And so going to serve these people, love them, Forgive them as, as I have been forgiven isn't on, that's not on my radar. It's not on my radar. But every two weeks, I, I sure do check and make sure my pay, my pay stub is correct, right? Did they get all my hours in? As if, you know, me entering the hours into the computer is the thing that makes me get paid. We get very confused about why we go to work. It's not about us, it's about the people who are there. Um, we have many idols when it comes to the theology of work. Many idols. Mike Rowe, do you guys know who Mike Rowe is? He's famous because he did a show called Dirty Jobs. Well, he tells this story about a guy who got a degree, he's in finance, and he hates his life. He hates it. And, and he ended up there because this is what people do in his family. And, and upon reflection, he tells Mike Rowe that, you know, I looked at the direction everyone else was going, and I went the opposite way. And he pursued an opportunity to be a septic tank cleaner. Now, I didn't know such a job existed. If I knew they existed, I would outlaw septic tanks. Um, because if I had a septic tank and I found out I had to clean it, I would actually just bury it and dig a new one and just keep digging new ones. <laughs> but this guy leaves a finance job, a finance job. That's as sexy as a job gets. That's as high and respectable and monetarily compensating. I mean, that's up there. And he goes and he cleans septic tanks. 
And what he found is he loved it. He loved it. And and like the story, I can hardly believe it, except it's actually on video of Micro telling the story. And what he found is he's good at it. And he owns a business now worth millions and millions of dollars because it turns out not that many people want to empty and clean septic tanks. I'm shocked. But what I find when I... I have one daughter. And if the man who wants to marry her comes to me and I ask him what he does for a living, I would have a difficult time with this. I'd be like, well, did you ever consider going to college? Right? We, we're, we're trained to look down on certain kinds of jobs. But we learn from the church that every job, everything whether it's honorable or dishonorable, whether it gets a lot of attention or not a lot of attention, is respectable and God-fearing and good. And, and the outside world, society is this way. And, and I, I mean, this is what I was saying earlier, is I remember I, didn't, I had no idea. My wife and I were walking around Green Lake in 2007, and she said, okay, now, now I'm your helpmate. So what is it I'm helping you to do? Because again, at the time, right, I was a Christian poet. And I thought, well, you know, I'm really passionate about this. I'm really, no, no, she says. This is why she's the maker of men. This is why she has five children right here. No, no, no. What can you actually do? (laughs) I never really thought about that. I mean, I had aspirations. And so what we found out is there were three things I, I, I felt gifted to do. One of them was policing. So I go to school to be a policeman. It turns out, no, I actually prefer the courts. So in 2011, I'm applying all like crazy to become a court clerk including King County. I'm called to be a clerk. Nobody wants me. Nobody even calls me back. So through another odd series of events, I end up in the garden of Providence Classical Christian School teaching secondary students. Uh, that only lasted two years. And then I didn't really, I, at this point, I'm kind of nonplussed. And I apply to like every possible government job I can. And you know who calls me and hires me? King County District Court. It's crazy. And so, I mean, clearly I had to learn some things to go back and do this, to do it well. But what I find when I'm there, okay, is that not all clerks are created equal. Uh, not all clerks can sit down with rape victims and take and write down and help them fill out paperwork for, for what they're doing. Now, that's intense. I'm sorry. But that's what I actually do. Uh, I'm equipped for that. Uh, teenagers and their problems when I was working in Providence, I'm not equipped for that. Uh, I just, I'm not. I'm just not equipped. God help me when I have teenagers. <laughs> What I'm equipped, though, is to sit down and talk to someone who, who is so behind and they're never going to get their driver's license back and help them to figure out how to get it back. Right? We are all placed in a particular garden, and it's crazy how we get there. We think it's going to be this way. It's not. It's this way. And what we find is then in the end, we're even more equipped to do the thing that God put us on this earth to do. So some of you might actually be wondering, what am I going to do? Some of you might actually have a vocation that you don't like, that you don't feel equipped for. Well, this is where the people of God come in handy. This is where parents come in handy. This is where you got to think, what did he equip you to do? It's the question. What are you good at? And there's nothing beneath us. There's nothing beneath us. If, if you feel called to clean septic tanks, good God, do it. I'm not. I'm not called to that. But we need all of these jobs, don't we? God cares about it because he cares about sanitation. Right? He's very clear about that in the Old Testament. And so I think he likes septic tank cleaner guys. He loves that job. Keep it out of my camp. And so God made us to work. And if you're not wondering what you're supposed to be doing, right? If you're not, uh, what am I going to do for a job? If you're not at that place, that's good. But if you are wondering, what am I going to do to serve the Lord? How am I going to be on mission? 
Well, God has taken you, just like Adam, and placed you in a garden. That's your garden. That's your sentry post. That's where we need you. I can't go there. Dean can't go there. We can hire as many evangelists as we want, but we can't get them to go to all those places. What we can do is equip you to do your job ethically, to do it gratefully, to do it well. Hey, and it's a grind. There's thorns. But Jesus said, come to me all who labor and I will give you rest. I will take care of the thorns. Because what I want is I want those engineers. I want those grocery store clerks. I want the nurses in that office. I want those people. Those are my children. I, I want them in my kingdom. And so he has sent you out to all these places to work in such a way as to be a gospel demonstration. Because this is, right? The thief, how did he come to know? The Samaritan woman, where did she get this information? Someone watered, someone sowed, someone weeded, someone reaped, and it's Christ who gives the fruit. Okay? So your lot in life is the garden you're in. It's the vocations you're in, the marriage you're in, the job you're in, the family you're in. Do it ethically. Do it gratefully. Do it selflessly and do it well. And amen.